Welcome to Moyer's Environmental Dialogues, Ocean River Shields of Achilles, with your host, Dr. Rob Moyer. Find out what others are doing and what you can do to create a greener and blue planet Earth. Now, here's Dr. Rob Moyer. Hi, welcome. We're talking today about endangered animals, and in particular, uh, six or seven, seven animals that um, we're talking about reaching into schools with and have an interactive website. And the animals today are the rhino, the pangolin, orangutan, the giant ibis, sega, the bluefin tuna, and saola. So we've got some very rare animals and some very well-known animals. And with me today is Thomas Tom Sanders. And Tom is from World Adventures for Archibald Clutterbuck and Friends. Hello, Tom. Hello, Rob. How are you? Good. Uh, I'm sitting over here in, in Cambridge, Massachusetts. And where are you calling from? I'm calling from Chelmsford in Essex, which is about half an hour away from London in the UK. Oh, nice. Down in the marshes there and stuff. Down um, in the marshes, yeah. <laughs> well, we've got some animals that love grazing in marshes and wading they in do, marshes. They do. So this is, you're a good man for the task here. So, yeah. so tell us about, um, about your project and about the worldly adventures of Archibald Bold, or Archibald Clutterbuck. It is a very uh, long title, but hopefully full, one full of imagination. Um, so basically, we run a free geography resource for 5 to 11-year-olds. Um, it's all online. There's lots to discover. Um, we've got information on there that's freely available for all kids to enjoy. They can go on there, learn about things like the seven continents, the five oceans, uh, indigenous people, the world environments, flags of the world, and endangered animals. Um, it's open to everyone, so kids are just keen to learn about the world. Um, also, we work with a lot of homeschoolers and also um, teachers and, and schools more, more generally. Yeah, I've been to the webpage, and it's just fabulous. As a, as a father of three sons, you know the questions are endless and uh, help. You know. and so this is, uh, uh, what's the website for people to visit? So the website is www.archibaldclutterbuck.co.uk. Um, so if you head over there, everything's on there, again, totally free. And we also have a YouTube channel, which is, uh, if you just search in Archibald Clutterbuck, I'm pretty sure will come up. Um, it's quite an uncommon name. Um, and we also have yes. an Instagram uh, account, which is like, updated daily with facts and images and quizzes and questions and all sorts of things to get your mind um, excited about geography, basically, uh, and world geography. Well, that's, yes. Um, so you've got wonderful illustrations. Are the uh, YouTube animations or a mixture or what? Yeah, so on YouTube we've got um, so we've got animations of Archibald Clutterbuck and his little companion, uh, Beans the Dog. Um, so they're kind of they're roaming around the world, um, searching all this stuff out for you to for you to um, discover on the website. Um, so yeah, on the YouTube channel we've got uh, Archibald's uh, extraordinary top fives, and he lists 
um, exciting facts about waterfalls, uh, European landmarks, uh, the African big five animals, to Amazon birds. Um, there's quizzes on there where you have to um, decide where in the world these countries are. We kind of blank one out and you've got to guess through the clues that uh, come up on the screen. Um, there's a video on there about the seven continents in more detail. So yeah, lots and lots of fun, interactive stuff for kids. I mean, there's quizzes all over the website, so there's definitely things to test your knowledge as well once you've learned about everything. Yeah, it's really fun. It's just brimming with information and interesting facts. And um, yeah, and so I was very pleased to hear from you when you were putting together a series on uh, this series on endangered species. Tell us about that. Yeah, so we kind of we were kind of thinking like we wanted a, wanted a big campaign to try and run with and to, to show show people the website and obviously you know endangered animals are a huge topic of conversation, uh, especially with the global movement into like climate change. Um, so animals obviously come up a lot in, in the global conversation, um, and I guess for myself, uh, I, I read uh, a lot of magazines and National Geographic in particular. Um, and I think a few months ago, I read a, an interesting article on the, the pangolin, and there were just images mm. of these pangolin bodies just piled up for far as the eye could see. And uh, it was kind of around that moment where we kind of just had a think, I think maybe we should do some kind of endangered animals. You know, we could really highlight the plight of a lot of these animals. Um, so we decided that. So we, we're doing a month-long campaign on endangered animals for the whole month of September um, where every day on Instagram we'll be posting new content. We'll have this new amazing uh, content um, on the website where you, the animals we're discussing today, they'll be all over that. Um, there's also a free endangered animals activity pack that we're giving away. Um, so if you head to our website come Monday, um, you better download that completely for free. And there's tons of activities on there, like word searches, colouring. There's a there's a rhino survey that you have to highlight the country. There are places in Africa where each of the rhinos live, um, and lots of other things. So there's lots going on for the whole month of September. It's going to be great. Yeah, that's fascinating. That's, and I see you have posters and and um, another aids. Yeah, sorry. We have we have uh, we've got edu educational posters as well coming out uh, as of Monday as well. So there's an endangered animals poster you can get to stick up on your wall, which has all these the seven animals and also a bit about how you can help um, save these animals. Um, we're working with a company called uh, a conservation company called Wild Wonderful World, who are based in Africa, and they're they're jumping on board to try and explain about how you can save African animals and about what they're doing there. Um, so it's, it's, it's going to be really, really good fun. We're looking, we're looking forward to learning as much as everyone else is. It sounds very comprehensive, and, and, and good for you to taking it a step further and providing opportunities for kids to, to help save animals. Yeah, I think it's really important that, that kids learn about these things early on in life, and it, it goes back to the whole philosophy of why the website's been, been created. I mean, I've got a well, nearly five-month-old baby girl now. Um, so this oh, came along a bit for her. Thank you very much. <laughs> and um, I just kind of feel like kids need that um, 
they need a positive outlook on the world before they get too too old and everything's like subjectified watching the news and all this kind of stuff and you just you learn things that you probably don't want to learn and you start making casting opinions where you shouldn't cast opinions um so i feel like there's, there's underrated animals and there's also less known countries that maybe give a bad rep for countries like iraq and syria and yemen and other countries that are war-torn even ethiopia obviously get bad reps in the press or negative uh negative press because of the wars and the, the famine yeah. stuff that goes on but you know there's people living in those countries that are completely go about their daily lives you know and they are genuine people. It's the, the people at the top that kind of create the headlines. Um, so it's that yeah, sort of ethos Vietnam that's created the website. Yeah, that's fact. Yeah, Vietnam is one of those countries that yeah. you know we know from the war, and yet you've got two fascinating endangered species or more that are coming out of the dark recesses, you know. And, you know, we, we think of you go to Africa for endangered species and you go to Southeast Asia for war or something. And mm, yeah, um, yeah. so this, you're doing a great service to break down those stereotypes of, yeah, you go to the reserve, you know, where it's all safe to see the, the you know, the animals and you don't go other places. But there are just, and the other thing is, is that kids so identify with individual animals. They look right into the eyes of the animal and they empathize with what they're dealing with. And so uh, who better to be ambassadors for these particular animals where the populations are suffering and that there's a, there's a likelihood that they may no longer continue to exist on the planet. Uh, and so who better to bring uh, attention to the plight of, uh, of animals like that than, than the young people? Um, because it's, it's purely, it, there's no gain in it whatsoever. It's total empathy. That's, I totally agree. And when we, when we went to, to, to pick the animals, we did kind of, we were, we were thinking like, which ones do we pick? And we wanted to kind of pick ones from different areas of the world. As you, as you said, it, people are drawn towards Africa, which again is why we're working with Wild Wonderful World, because that's a, a very common ground we've got. Um, because you, it's quite mm. easy to think of animals living in Africa. Um, but yeah, we, we chose the giant ibis, um, and then you've got the saola and the sega, which is living in like, the steppes of Kazakhstan, and obviously the bluefin tuna, which kind of well, roams around a lot of the world in the sea. So yeah, trying yeah. to cover, cover as many bases as we could. Well, let's, let's start with um, the, uh, the pangolin that you mentioned, because... I think yep. I saw the same video footage of not only horrific piles of, of dead pangolins because there's a, mm. a trade in, in them, but also the ability of keeping one as a house pet or, you know, the whole restoration program. Yeah, yeah. What spoke to you about pangolins? So, yeah, the pangolin is my, my, is my wife's favorite animal. She, <laughs> loves, she loves the pangolin. So that was a, it was a no-brainer for me to, to, to kind of mention that and, and say, well, we should definitely do this, this animal. Um, I think the thing that struck me most, obviously I saw that article and the amount of, the amount of bodies piled up, and I, and I kind of just assumed that those, that species was just in, in, uh, in India and, and maybe borderlines of China. And, and going to do some more research, it was the... The, the amount of species it has. I mean, I'm counting now. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. There's eight 
species of pangolin. And they range from all over Southeast Asia and India and basically right across uh, Africa, Central and Southern Africa. And that, that kind of shocked me that, that it, it kind yeah. of like spread across the whole pangolin uh, species, the fact that they're all becoming endangered. Right. When I first saw the pictures, I figured, well, they must have a lot of pangolins there or something. Yeah. But, um, and, and, and just to back up, these are the only mammals that have scales on their, from their nose, yeah. you know, which is not scaly, all the way to the end of their tail. And they have this amazing way of curling up, of getting those scales to let them to, you know, to be able to move, you know, and, and yet have all those scales. And then they've got this extraordinary long, sticky tongue that they snake out to eat ants and termites. And, um, yeah, and, they can, and then they can roll themselves up into a ball when they're threatened, to, just to remind our listeners about the pangolin. But, um, yeah, it's a problem. And it wasn't just uh, one market in, in, like, just Asia or something. It's like uh, not only are they all in trouble, but fortunately, and thanks in part to your efforts of bringing attention to them, not just in one place, you know, the pangolin people from one area are, are communicating with them elsewhere on how best to um, prevent these guys from going extinct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I think that the, the populations, uh, there's, no, there's no count for the population. And no, nobody's, nobody can kind of ah. count them because they just don't know where they are apart from where the, the poachers oh. are approaching them. And, you know, they, they're going, they've kind of, killed as many as they can in Southeast Asia and, and India. Now they're going over to Africa and, and supplying the trade that way. Oh, dear. Yeah. It, it's... Gosh. Globalization is a real pain when that kind of stuff scales. Yeah. Yeah. And for these, for the these global you know, markets scales that are boiled like down and... Sorry. Go ahead. What, what were you saying? Boiled? Sorry. The, the, yeah, the scales are being, are being boiled down and then... Um, you know, put into Chinese medicine. That, that that kind of medicine doesn't really have any. It, there's, there's nothing to say that it works. You know, there's no scientific no. background to say that this, this medicines they make make work. So they're just being killed for for no reason, really. And and so you're going to hook up, um, hook us up with um, organizations that are working to save the pangolin. Is that on the website there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if you find out more section uh, right at the bottom of the page, of each page of the animals, there's a find out more section and there's a few links um, to to either uh, organizations or institutes that are trying to save that animal. So, yeah, the leading pangolin con- con- conservation uh, company is uh, save, savethepangolins.org. I found that really, really useful website. Yes. Um, Bravo! They, they really break it down and, and really tell you exactly like, step by step how you can help and you know what what's what their uh, struggles are. Yes, and so you can subscribe to their newsletter and be kept apprised of what's happening in the world of pangolin. That's it. And also the uh, I've got to get this the right way around. The I C U N or is it the I U C N? I always get it wrong. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's a great website to go on because you can actually see on there. I'm going to look it up now, so I'm precisely right. Yeah, I don't see it on the pangolin page, but I know what you mean. No, it's on some of the pages. It's the IUCN yeah. red list of uh, threatened species, yes. and basically you can just type in any animal, and it comes up and it tells you whether what the threat level is, um, and 
how many there are left in the wild, what's, what's uh, being done to, to stop, stop them becoming endangered, and obviously what is, why they're becoming endangered. Like, yeah, we've really found that, that website really, really um, interesting. Yes, that, that is, that's the global source. It's the ICUM yeah. Red Book. And True Confessions, when I was in high school, this book came out called Wildlife in Danger, and it was the ICUN. It was, you know, about each animal recognized by ICUN, and it was the first hardback book I emptied up my, you know, money to buy. <laughs> oh wow! <laughs> yeah, because it was really cool. I mean, and as you're saying to the audience, you know, it's just to to page through your website or to page through these reports. It's just, it's just the variety of nature and the design. I mean, I'm looking at this curled up penguin on your website and he looks like a Fibonacci series of, you know, um, the way the scales overlap and stuff. And it's just, just fascinating. Um, and, it really, it really and so is. one of the, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. No, no, I, I did, Yeah. I, I find that they are fascinating. There's a cross between like a hedgehog and like a bit of a tortoise with the, the way they're kind of, I don't know, their, their yeah. scales look like, sort of a tortoise shell, but then they fold up and yeah, it's a, a, an amazing achievement to have evolved that. <laughs> and you've got a picture of him on a branch where he's wrapped his tail around and he's got his left arm under his tail so he's, he's staying on that branch, you know, <laughs> he's just yeah. hanging in there. Um, and that's the wonderful thing. If you, if you see the pictures of the different species, some of them are really dark, scale, scaly skin, some of them are really light. Um, I think the one on the branch is kind of like really light skin color, but a dark, um, scale texture so you can kind of get an idea when you look at them where they're living in the in the world obviously that one probably lives in in more undergrowth and yes um, forests and then you've got the lighter colored ones that probably live more deserty kind of areas right holes in the desert and stuff i mean mm. burrowing that's it uh tom we're going to take a short break and when we come back we're going to talk about other animals in the worldly adventures of Archibald Clutterbuck. Stand by. On a Cape Cod shore, 16 striped bass fish and a horseshoe crab were found dead, killed by a harmful algal bloom. The town blamed excessive lawn fertilizer for polluting the water. They restricted lawn fertilizing to once a year. The state overruled, mandating five times a year. Though the striped bass died on a Falmouth shore, fertilizer pollution is a national problem, clogging our waterways. If you believe in our rights to clean water and beaches, if you want to stop the killing of fish by excessive fertilizer, please join with us. Make a donation for responsible stewardship. Acting together, we can have clean beaches and more fish. Please visit www.oceanriver.org. That's oceanriver.org. Connecting local stewardship with global support, the Ocean River Institute is a nonprofit organization dedicated to helping people and groups make a difference where they live and work. We believe that many environmental issues can best be addressed by people taking action in their own communities and regions. It's not the large national entities, but the small, localized, or newly formed groups that often need help to achieve their goals. That's where the Ocean River Institute comes in. We maintain a network of eco-stewards and ORI 
by partners, connecting them with resources and services to help them maximize their impact, expand their capacity, and weather unexpected setbacks. ORI Actions and Events offer opportunities to make a difference, to go the distance, and you can volunteer to be an ORI Eco Steward. To discover more, visit us online at www.oceanriver.org. That's www.oceanriver.org. The Ocean River Institute is a 501c3 nonprofit organization dedicated to helping people and groups make a difference where they live and work through environmental stewardship and science. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. listening to Moyer's Environmental Dialogues. To participate in today's discussion, you're welcome to call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. Again, that's 1-866-472-5788. You can also send an email to rob at oceanriver.org. Now, back to Dr. Rob Moyer. Hi. We're talking with Tom Sanders about endangered species, endangered animals, and um, Tom, remind us again where people can learn more about your program. Yeah, so if they head over to the Worldly Adventures of Archibald Clutterbuck and Friends, that's uh, at archibaldclutterbuck.co.uk. That's Archibald, not Archibald, because he's bold and fearless. Bold and fearless. Golden Sealy, yeah, not for adventure. Okay. <laughs> yeah, so, um, so if you head so, over there now from Monday, there'll be a whole section on endangered animals. So it's all part of our month-long campaign on endangered animals. Right. So we're we're recording on the fifth of September, and um, the ninth or so, you'll be up, and those endangered animal pages will be up and stuff. That is right. I imagine yeah. most people are going to listen after you're already up and going. Um, okay. Uh, and, you know, if you have any trouble getting through, you can, um, can people email you, Tom, or is it best just to go through the website? They can email me, yeah. Yeah, what's the what's, just, how, how do they do that? They can, they can email us through uh, hello at archiboldclutterbuck.co.uk. Yeah, it sounds generic because it says hello at, but Tom answers personally, so I recommend it. <laughs> I do. Now, of course, you can always, uh, you can always in, uh, you know, write to me, rob at oceanriver.org, as we heard earlier, um, especially if you have any observations you want to share. If you're pangolins, you better send them to Tom, but um, I'd be happy to hear from you, <laughs> too. Uh, I, you know, and Tom just came over the transom uh, because we have a, a, an active campaign on helping to save the bluefin tuna. Uh, which is, you know, the, I'm going to talk a bit about the bluefin tuna here. So this is just an amazing, fast-swimming, large fish that um, is like the greyhound of the sea. You know, these, uh, we, here in Boston, you can go out on a whale watch, and sometimes you think it's the whale coming out, his back going against, you know, coming out of the water, and then you 
this whole back turns into a, a fish flying into the air, and it could be a 500-pound bluefin tuna. They just leap out of the water, and uh, because they're fast swimming, they have dark muscles, and um, you know because they they need a lot of oxygen in those muscles to work so fast. They're actually considered warm-blooded because the oxygen, the muscles are working hard, and they're able to generate body heat unlike any other most other fish. It's the largest of the tuna. Go ahead. No, I was just amazed. I didn't know that about them being yeah. known as warm-blooded. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, but unfortunately, uh, they are um, most sought after um, initially by the Japanese and now by everybody uh, for, um, for, for, the, for that um, marbled kind of dark meat that they have in them. And the, the best bluefin in the, in the Japanese market are referred to as Boston bluefin. And it's not a scientific name, so scientists all go cross-eyed when I say it. But the Boston bluefin tuna refers to the marbling in the meat. And the, they thought that it was the cold water off of Boston that caused there to be more marbling in the meat. But it's not. It's not well, maybe it's water temperature related, but it certainly isn't geography related. Um, but yeah, so therefore, uh, if someone catches a tuna uh, off of, out of Boston or anywhere, um, the, the market tiers are on the telephone with the boat captain, and they will have sold that, that fish before it lands on, comes ashore. Uh, and bluefin tuna have gone for $300,000. You know, because you slice that into tiny little um, sushi bits that you can charge 28 bucks a bit, and it adds up quickly. So, unfortunately, this has meant that it would pay, and the rarer the, the fish gets, the more expensive it gets, and the more it pays to go looking for the last of the uh, bluefin tuna. That, that is incredible. I did not realize that they could be sold on the boat, yeah, for that, for that amount of money. I mean, I looked up a fact, and it said that one of them was sold for like, uh, over, uh, over a million dollars yeah. at market. You know, it, it, it's just incredible. How, how big well, can they get? I guess that's what it is. I lost my numbers there. But, yeah, it's an amazing <laughs> price that they're going for. And yeah. um, I guess it was $3 million, not 300000 I'm thinking of something else. But, uh yeah. Well, now this might be three um, million. This might be another another one that's not not been caught off Boston. But oh yeah, <laughs> um, <laughs> and I tell people not to eat bluefin tuna uh, because it is the top of the food chain. So it is eating another fish that eats a fish that eats a fish that eats animal plankton that eats uh, plant plankton. So it's seven steps up, and so if there's a little bit, also. You know, it needs, they put out, get one pound of tuna meat, you got to eat like 10 pounds of the next fish. Yeah. So when you multiply seven to the, or you, you take 10 to the seventh degree, and you've got an awful lot of diatoms that are being eaten. And Roger Payne, who's a whale biologist, um, calculated that uh, the amount of, of diatoms, the bottom of the food chain that goes into one pound swordfish meat, uh, not, well, swordfish and bluefin tuna, because they're both, they're the two guys seven steps up. 
um, is the equivalent in volume to four New York City dump trucks full of diatoms. So imagine hooking your kidneys up to that much diatoms and being vulnerable to the kind of toxins that get concentrated up. So um, we shouldn't eat uh, bluefin tuna because it's got great amounts of mercury in it. And there's a movie wow. out about the cove which talks about the killing of dolphins and the selling of dolphin meat in Japanese market. And they interviewed, um, they interviewed Japanese businessmen who were thought they were eating uh, whale meat, but it turned out they had been fed uh, the dolphin meat because of the high amount of mercury in their in their in their bodies. Mercury bioaccumulates, so once you take it in, you don't secrete it; it just adds and adds. And so they had been, a dolphin is, is seven steps up, like the bluefin tuna, and uh, a whale is only like three steps up. And so they were shocking about that. However, I love eating tuna melt and tuna sandwiches and stuff. And so I know that the next tuna down, the bluefin tuna, is um, not the bluefin tuna. The bluefin tuna is the biggest. Yellowfin tuna's next big down. And, and so it's one step down the food chain, and it's also shorter-lived. So it doesn't accumulate as much, and it, it isn't as high up in the food chain. So it has a 1,000 times less mercury than the bluefin tuna. And there's albacore and other tunas that are even less. So many of us, many people rely on seafood as an inexpensive source of protein besides being delicious. And um, they mustn't be turned off by this scare that tuna is going to give you mercury. It's basically the less you pay for the fish, the healthier it is for you. So... Uh, little sardines and, and mackerel are at the very bottom, and they have the least. And, and the two worst are the swordfish and the bluefin tuna. So you can eat with impunity as well. And when you go to the fish store, if you want to help the fishermen, I say just ask what the least expensive locally caught fish. And it's least expensive because it's so abundant. And, uh, and you can be sure it's fresh, and they'll tell you how to cook it and stuff. Tilapia is a different story, but... Um, you know, so cod costs, I, I love going to the pubs in, in uh, Scotland. I found that the fish and chips, they'd offer you cod for 11 and that pounds and then uh, hake or, yeah, haddock for less, about the same, and then uh, pollock for less than that and hake for less than that. So, um, yeah, so eat fish, but, um, yeah, so I got off this tangent on. This is a big effort that the Ocean River Institute is doing is trying to better manage the fish. And we are making progress with better managing the catch of the, of the bluefin tuna. It's more difficult because it's not in national waters, and so it's a, it's a much more difficult thing to do, and because the market is mm. driving so fast. But um, thank you for uh, putting the Ocean River Institute on your page. No problem. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's a huge... Uh, oh, I, I love the fish. It's, it's an incredible fish. Yeah. How big can they get, Rob? Uh, 500 pounds. Um, that's a big fish. I, I don't know if it's yeah, like five feet. Yeah, they got this big sickle tail right. out the back. But, you know, um, and mostly they're catching smaller ones now. Um, there have been some efforts yeah. to, um, to try to aquaculture them, to try to um, grow them up in, in closed areas. 
so that, you know, you can manage the, the take or something. Um, yeah. But um, it's just really hard, and, and the prices just go up and up and up. So, um, yeah. Oh, but there's from a the reaction um, point, if you, if, you, if you put them in, like, areas, they're not going to grow as big, are they? So it's probably not in, well, they, they, you know, in, the, in the buyer's interest. So they a huge range, exactly. So they were thinking of, like, setting up a big, you know, corral off of Tasmania or something. And, uh, mm. you know, who's got the time for that? You know, the day of uh, yeah. tuna boys is not here yet to go riding the range. No. Uh, but a chef in uh, Kentucky found that the big, uh, the big uh, catfish that live in the, in the Ohio River and into the Mississippi, um, mm-hmm. he's able to cut fillets from that that people think is bluefin sushi fish. So oh, that's wow. another way. Yeah. And when you're all of a sudden offering, you know, tuna-tasting sushi for, you know, a quarter of the price, um, that's what happened with uh, saving the Scottish salmon was that the salmon were getting rarer and rarer, and the, 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 it would pay to take the last salmon out. And then Argentina introduced farm salmon, and that undercut the price. And so they backed off from catching the last Scottish salmon and, and went for the cheap stuff. Uh, yeah, yeah. So now we have salmon going. Um, yeah, so thank you for giving me all this time to talk about my favorite fish uh, in the animal. No problem. Um, we're going to take a short break, and when we come back, We'll talk about some more of the animals that are part of the worldly adventures of Archibald Clutterbuck and friends. Connecting local stewardship with global support, the Ocean River Institute is a nonprofit organization dedicated to helping people and groups make a difference where they live and work. We believe that many environmental issues can best be addressed by people taking action in their own communities and regions. It's not the large national entities, but the small, localized, or newly formed groups that often need help to achieve their goals. That's where the Ocean River Institute comes in. We maintain a network of eco-stewards and ORI partners, connecting them with resources and services to help them maximize their impact, expand their capacity, and weather unexpected setbacks. ORI actions and events offer opportunities to make a difference, to go the distance, and you can volunteer to be an ORI eco-steward. To discover more, visit us online at www.oceanriver.org. That's www.oceanriver.org. The Ocean River Institute is a 501c3 nonprofit organization dedicated to helping people and groups make a difference where they live and work through environmental stewardship and science. On a Cape Cod shore, 16 striped bass fish and a horseshoe crab were found dead, killed by a harmful algal bloom. The town blamed excessive lawn fertilizer for polluting the water. They restricted lawn fertilizing to once a year. The state overruled, mandating five times a year. Though the striped bass died on a Falmouth shore, fertilizer pollution is a national problem, clogging our waterways. If you believe in our rights to clean water and beaches, if you want to stop the killing of fish by excessive fertilizer, please join with us. Make a donation for responsible stewardship. Acting together, we can have clean beaches and more fish. Please visit www.oceanriver.org. That's oceanriver.org. 
Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. are listening to Moyer's Environmental Dialogues. To participate in today's discussion, you're welcome to call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. Again, that's 1-866-472-5788. You can also send an email to rob at oceanriver.org. Now, back to Dr. Rob Moyer. Hi, I'm talking here with Tom Sanders from the world, the adventures of Archibald Clutterbuck and friends. And we're talking about his endangered species on their website. And we were just talking about the bluefin tuna. Another one on the website is a saola. And it is a small kind of antelope that is likely the rarest of them all. It's only been seen four times. It was just discovered in, like, 1992, and it lives in the deep, dark forests of Vietnam and Laos. So it looks like an antelope with straight horns, and this reminds the locals of spinning wheel posts. And so Seola is the ocean for um, spinning wheel posts. There's a reference to that. And, and bizarrely, um, they're not antelopes. The Sayola's closest relative are the are wild cattle and buffalo. And this has been one of the most exciting finds of the of recent times is to discover a whole big mammal like this uh, hiding in the far corners of Laos and Vietnam. Yeah, I, I love the Sayola. I take it you've, you've mentioned its uh, recent discovery. Yes. Yes, and so um, let's, um, let's talk about another charismatic animal that um, I understand is one of your favorites. The Sega, yes. I believe that's how it's pronounced. I'm going to pronounce it the Sega. Good to me. So this is a, a, a crazy-looking animal. I, I, I encourage everyone to look it up right now. It's S-A-I-G-A. Um, just, just give it a Google, and you'll see how odd it looks. It's, it looks like an antelope, but it's got the weirdest, I don't know, maybe, is it like a short trunk? Would you best describe it, Rob? Yeah, it's a big floppy nose. It's a big floppy nose. That's another thing. I, I went, when I saw the first pictures, and I was thinking, well, that's a weird-looking nose. But then you watch uh, video footage of it, and it really wobbles. There's, no, there's not it much wobbles. cartilage in there to, to, keep, it, to keep it like uh, static. Um, so these little long wobbly noses are, are perfect uh, for its surroundings. They live on the, the grassy steppes of uh, North Asia, so Kazakhstan, Uzbekistan, Russia, Mongolia, um, and these noses are so well adapted to where they are on these dusty plains that in the summer it filters out the dust from the air and helps them to breathe more cleanly. And, and then in the winter... Um, because it's so cold up there, basically that nose kind of warms up the air before it gets into their lungs. It's just 
amazing. Reminds um, you of camels. Yes. Where the camel yeah, nose very, Yes, very camel-like. Again, they've got floppy kind of like noses and mouths, haven't they? So there's clearly yeah. something happening there. Lots of flaps and things. Lots of flapping about. <laughs> um, and we've got like a did you know section on the website, uh, a little fun fact. Uh, I'll just read it to you. Uh, the Sega are the prey to many animals such as wolves, but to get away they can run an incredibly, incredibly fast 80 kilometers per hour. So that, that's quick. That is very quick. That's faster than most cheetahs, I think, or something. Is it? <laughs> if you have it's right up there. Yeah. I, I think, no, I think the cheetahs are going to hunt other animals. Just forget the Sega. Yes, I forgot the Sega. Um, yeah, they, they're critically endangered at the moment. Um, so population is about 124,000, uh, which isn't that many. Bearing in mind, they, they kind of live quite a vast, well, Small area, but on these vast plains, so they haven't got many. Um, many they haven't got many predators because um, there's not many animals living out there. Um, but the so the, the 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 two reasons they're kind of becoming this this critically endangered and, um, and close to extinction is due to them they're being hunted for their horns, um, which are a kind of a bit like the Sagus horns in some respect. They're quite ridged. Uh, the Sayola, sorry, um, they're quite they're quite ridged, um, very beautiful looking. Um, but they again they're being turned into medicines, uh, which are really popular in China. But there's there's just no um, scientific basis for their for their use. I mean, these medicines aren't really doing anything to help anybody. Um, and the other more shocking thing that led to their uh, population decrease is that um, in the last few years, um, basically 200,000 Sagas have died as a result of a respiratory uh, disease. So scientists were kind of you know, watching over them and conservationists were watching over them. Basically, all these Sagas were literally just dying. They were coming up to new areas and there were just Sagas littered all over the ground, all over the, uh, the steppe. Um, and after further research, it was, it was due to a respiratory uh, disease that kind of Killed yeah two hundred thousand so that's really led to um, the decline in the population um, and it's really difficult to save them so they're they're uh, monitoring them monitoring them for disease and hopefully if they find another disease or find diseased ones that they can kind of like um, segregate them and, and try and prevent it spreading um, but they don't do very well in captivity um, so you don't really find them in zoos which again makes it harder for for um, conservationists to, you know, take breeding pairs and create um, a more hardy species, I guess. But yeah, an incredible yeah. animal. Yeah, I was reading that it was a bacterial infection, and uh, we're seeing a rise in bacterial infections. Um, and this one could have been related to, you know, hot, wet weather, um, which you know, makes one worry about climate change effects and stuff. But yeah. bacterial uh, infections have been increasing. Uh, it was like in the 1990s that the first animal, the first species went extinct from a bacterial infection. Uh, prior to that, there had been more viral infections and other types of infections, fungal infections and stuff. But, um, or maybe I'm reversing bacterial and fungal, come to think of it. But still, bacterial infections are a really serious problem. 
And um, and it's too bad the Sega antelope would suffer so. I hear that the survivors seem to be recovering and that they are slowly building the population back so that hopefully, you know, captivity won't be necessary. And as you said, the whole thing is to keep an eye on them in case the bacteria returns. Um, yikes. Yeah, but yeah, I think totally. there's hope there. Yeah. I mean, there's a great um, um, website to, to visit sagaconservation.org, um, and they've, they've got a fantastic um, Instagram page where every every few days they have a little question, a fun fact, whether you whether they're true or false, um, whether the Sega has them, and, and nine times out of ten is true, and there's some weird facts out there. So it's well worth going on there. Oh, that's great. Learning more about these that's great. weird animals. We want people to go to your webpage to find that webpage. Yeah, I know. <laughs> We want people to be involved in your education program, too, because this, this is really exciting, the way you've illustrated it and give teaching tools to go along with all of this talking that you and I are doing and stuff. Yeah. Yes, if you head over to uh, archibaldclutterbark.co.uk uh, forward slash endangered uh, hyphen animals, or just just give it a Google, um, we'll come up. Yeah. And there's loads of uh, information there for free. For, for kids to get involved. It's in. really wonderfully laid out. You've got the, you know, seven um, animals across the top of different colored squares, and you can pick whichever one you want. And um, I noticed, I think you rearranged the orders on me too. So I kept thinking, oh, you got my favorite one up front. Like, oh no, you don't have my favorite one up front. But that's okay. <laughs> you got to please everybody. So you're doing that well. You can't please everybody. Um, no. I think I Sega becomes time before your bluefin tuna. Yeah. Uh, so Sorry. quickly, uh, one of the other animals is the giant ibis, which yes. is the largest ibis in the world. It stands like a meter tall or 39 inches, mm-hmm. and it's the national bird of Cambodia. Cambodia, yes. And the giant ibis, they have long curved beaks, and they tend to be dark with gray-brown plumage and naked head and neck. And they have these dark bands on the back of their head and silvery-gray wingtips. Um, and it's, it's cool the way they kind of walk through these secluded forest ponds. They, they're far from villages. They like to wade out in the water. They're, they're a wader. And, and yet there's fewer than 2,000. And um, I read that they did find recently, 2017, they, were, they found 19 nests of the giant ibis. So there's hope that these birds, as long, you know, we haven't really stressed it, but a loss of habitat is, is a real problem for these animals, as is poaching and hunting. But in the case of the ibis, I think it's mostly habitat loss. Um, yeah, yeah. So this is good good education you guys are doing on your page. Um, I got lost looking at the rhinos, because there isn't just ah. one rhino. There's, like, um, there's five different species. You've got, you know, three in Asia, uh, and, and the Asians are the... Uh, the Javan and the uh, Sumatran and the Great Horned Rhino, which is actually the Greater Horned Rhino, which is actually the Indian Rhino. They live in India, but they're called that because they only have one horn instead of two, and sometimes, yeah, instead of two. Um, and uh, but most interesting was getting to getting reacquainted with the the white rhino and the black rhino. Because the black rhino is called the hook-lip hook rhino, 
because it's got a prehensile upper lip that it wraps around twigs and, and uh, eats, you know, off of trees. And it's, it's darker color. It's not black. It's actually dark brown, and it can be yellow-brown or gray. Um, but it is black compared to the white rhino. And the white rhino isn't called the white rhino uh, because it's white. It was called the wide rhino because it had a wide mouth, and it doesn't have that, that prehensile upper lip. It, it's, a big, it's, it's like a lawnmower. It's just going through grazing grass off, um, and it likes high grasses. And they found that it's a, such a good grazer of grass that it shortens the grass, and so the grass is less prone to fire coming through. And so the white rhino is considered a keystone species because it prevents grass fires. Who knew? And Who besides knew? smoking exactly. air, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and these guys are bigger, and they've got these, you know, plates around them. Uh, that looks like armor and stuff and, and, and so forth. But uh, unfortunately, we're just running out of time. Let's see. Did I get them all? The rhinos? The ibis? The city? Oh, we've got the, the orangutan on there, but... Oh, yeah. Everyone knows about the orangutan. Oh, why is the orangutan there? Why is the orangutan there? Because it's going endangered. We're cutting down palm oil <laughs> trees. Uh, so we're adding palm oil trees, and we're getting rid of their rainforests. Yes. So, again, they're, they're losing habitat. Yeah. Yeah, because they're beautiful. You know, uh, I was reading on your site that, uh, that orangutan stands for what? It stands oh. for, here we go. Uh, <laughs> you'll put me on the spot Okay, now. never mind. Uh, In the Mali language, the it means man of the forest. Yes. Yeah. And so these wide-eyed, beautiful, lanky animals are not bothering anybody, but um, I, mean, I guess there is some hunting to worry about, too. Uh, but the yeah, big they're thing just, is... they're so vulnerable they're because they only, they only, they're only there in Borneo and Sumatra. That, that, that's it. So once, once they move, you know, once they're, once they're dead in those, those islands, there, there really isn't anything, anything left for them apart yeah. from the ones in captivity. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's huge. Yeah, those islands are suffering from... Um, you know, industrialization and, and population yeah. growth, and and they they just have to be smart about it and, and not take out the habitat. That's it. Stop buying palm uh, oil so, products, basically. So, so tell us again quickly your plans for rolling out the um, campaign that you have, this education program. Yeah, so we we're doing endangered animals um, month on uh, archibaldclutterbuck.co.uk. Um, so if you head over there in the month of September. Um, as of the 9th of September, everything will be on there. You can learn about the seven animals we've talked about just now. That's rhino, pangolin, orangutan, giant ibis, sega, bluefin tuna, and saola. If you head over to the website, you'll get a free uh, endangered animals activity pack. Um, it's, the whole website is designed for 5 to 11-year-olds to learn more about the world and for this month of September, the endangered animals as well. Um, so head to our website, head to our Instagram page. Everything could be on there. Um, yeah, and have fun, learn. It's exciting. Yeah, and if it's after September, the page will still be there. You just won't have the free giveaways and stuff. Of course, of course. Yeah, the page will still yeah. be there. Um, but, you know, yeah. for, the, for the whole month, we're running stuff on Instagram and Facebook, and there should be more facts coming your way. Um, and then, you know, the, fr the free activity pack for the month, and there's discounts on the big A2 poster we've got as well, which has all the animals and how you can help. 
So we're also partnering up with Wild Wonderful World, who are an African conservationist uh, group. Um, so they're looking at uh, saving African animals, and they'll be on hand to answer your questions and give their tips and advice on how you can help save uh, endangered species. That's really great, the way you engage local resources and, and local people to, to speak to their animals of concern. Yeah, I think, I think yeah, yourself included, Rob, you know, there's people out there that know more than us and uh, we want and, uh, people that are more passionate about it than us. So we really want them on board to kind of, you know, to push the campaign and, and to share, share, with it, share all their information and wisdom with kids and their passion and try and, yeah, get kids passionate about saving these animals. Yes. Well, your passion shined through, and I want to thank you for, uh, for all the work you're doing on the, wonder, the wonderful ventures of Archibald, Clutterbuck, and friends. You're really helping children connect with animals that need saving, uh, particularly these seven endangered animals. Tom, thanks a lot. Thank you very much, Rob. And that's it for this episode of Moyer's Environmental Dialogues. Thank you all for listening. Please Take some care of yourself, and then try to take some care of this planet of ours. Thanks again for joining us this week on Moyer's Environmental Dialogues. Please tune in for more with Dr. Rob Moyer next Thursday at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll talk again then.